Welcome listeners, but take heed. We will say whatever we need to share our knowledge, thoughts, and joy, and even things that do annoy. So join us now, but be aware. We have a tendency to swear. We'll dial it back a little bit. But frankly, we don't give a shit. Welcome to Just Keep Rolling's Potterheads A History, all about the Prisoner of Azkaban soundtrack. I'm Ellen, my co-host is Katie, and we have a special returning guest to host this episode. Today we are again joined by our patron, Max Nash. As the winner of our special trivia episode and the guest host of our previous Potterheads episode, Max is becoming an expert on guest hosting. We decided to have him back here for this episode because he helped us come up with the idea for it. So it made sense. While we were recording his previous episode about the Deathly Hollows, Since he has a background in music, that is going to shape the direction of this episode. Welcome back, Max. It's really good to have you here again. Hi, guys. It's lovely to be back. I really can't wait to do this episode because I'm actually looking for something to use my degree on in the real world. <laughs> Gotta put that degree to use, right? Exactly. It's worth it all of a sudden. <laughs> well, I, we, I'm glad that we are now something you can add to your resume. There we go. Or <laughs> wait, what do you guys call them? CV? CVs. Oh yeah, CV. God, I haven't used one in so long. <laughs> CV. <laughs> because of Max's expertise in music... This episode is going to focus on the soundtrack from Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, which the three of us all agree is the best of all of the Harry Potter film soundtracks. Mm-hmm. First, we're going to give you a little background on the soundtrack itself. Then Max is going to dive right in with his knowledge as we discuss the songs included. Hopefully it won't take too long. That's <laughs> <per> song. <laughs> According to Wikipedia, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, original motion picture soundtrack, is the film score for the 2004 film of the same name and the third and final score in the series to be composed and conducted by John Williams. Genius. Mm-hmm. He just blows my mind. It introduced two major themes, Window to the Past and Double Trouble. Two other notable themes were used to represent the Time Turner and Sirius Black's Hunt for Harry. The soundtrack was performed at Abbey Road Studios in London. It was released on the 25th of May 2004 and charted at number 68 on the Billboard 200 and also charted at number 3 on the Top Soundtracks chart. The album was nominated for the Academy Award for Best Original Score, the Grammy Award for Best Score Soundtrack for Visual Media, and the World Soundtrack Award for Best Original Score of the Year. In 2018, the soundtrack was re-released by La La Land Records as a two-disc set encompassing the complete score of the film as a part of a limited edition box set featuring the scores of the first three Harry Potter films. The official soundtrack features 21 tracks, all composed by John Williams, with a runtime of 68 minutes and 37 seconds. There is also an expanded edition, which has 61 tracks and a runtime of 151 minutes and 56 seconds. But for the sake of this episode, we're just going to focus on the regular edition. Probably a good call. Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban Original Motion Picture Soundtrack. Track 1, Lumos, Hedwig's Theme. 1 minute 38 seconds. This is the final movie in the Harry Potter series to use Hedwig's theme in its original, gradually building form during the opening, until the credits of Deathly Hallows Part 2. This includes a slightly more ominous Celeste melody and retains the flute melody, but features a short harp motif at the end. 
So Lumos is basically just Hedwig's theme, which is sort of the Harry Potter theme song mm-hmm. that you hear in... You, I would say you hear it in all the Harry Potter movies, but actually you only hear it in two. So, and then it comes back in the third one as Lumos. And I've written down, I've just written down some ideas here. So I thought that them using it sort of as the last time that it's going to be introduced in a Harry Potter film, it actually comes back sort of thematically throughout the film a couple of times. But them using it sort of as the last time that it's going to be a big noticeable thing in the title sequence. I thought was a sort of an indication that there was a sort of darker turn for the films coming up. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a change in like the entire theme from this point. We get more into the darker side of the Wizarding World. You've got the Dementors coming in, Azkaban. You've even got this sort of concept of magical murderers sort of coming up with them talking about Sirius Black and then Peter Pettigrew later on. So I thought that was quite interesting. What I find really interesting is the fact that I don't even think it registered for me that this was the last time it was really used. Mm-hmm. Like, it's just such an epic intro. My brain has placed it over all of them. I was going to say, yeah. yeah, I just kind of, I naturally hear it just in my head. Because <laughs> it's so synonymous with Harry Potter. Yeah, definitely. I mean, if you were watching a film and someone said, Oh, what's the music for that? Like, you just immediately go, da, 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 and you'd be wrong for most of the films. Right. <laughs> hmm, interesting. Like, I like how they always seem to pop up in other tracks, like somewhere in the middle of tracks a lot of times. But after this, it wasn't really used as the theme that it was in the first two. Yeah. Makes me kind of sad. Yeah, I don't think I realized that. I would have been wrong. <laughs> We have a remix as our theme song. We do. Yeah, you do. I like that they changed the title as well. Well, I'm not sure if I like it very much, but I think it makes... The title they changed it to makes sense because there's this sort of ongoing idea of light over dark for the entire film with the Patronuses. Mm -hmm. And then the more obvious fact that Harry was casting Lumos Maxima as... That's also a thing. At the very beginning, yeah. I guess that does make sense. Kind of slap you in the face with that one. Yeah. <laughs> the second track is called Aunt Marge's Waltz. It's two minutes and 15 seconds long. And I think it's pretty safe to say this plays when Aunt Marge is there. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> it sort of starts immediately when she starts to swell up, like from the tip of her finger. And I sort of went back through the other films to see if you get any more of these sort of contextual little fun pieces that are thrown together because it's a proper piece as well and Mm -hmm. the ones that i found that you also get a sort of theme song for lockhart in the second film and you get the sort of same sort of theme for umbridge in the fifth film and i sort of drew a conclusion like that john williams uses these sorts of like fun light themes to sort of make fun of irritating characters that we come across in the series. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, you've got the tweed bitch, yeah. the, appendix, the appendix, and we haven't gotten to Umbridge yet, so she doesn't have an official nickname, but we'll get there. But I'm pretty sure cunt would probably be involved, but, you know. <laughs> I did write a limerick about her. Oh, what's limerick? <laughs> you did. Don't be fooled by my fictitious front. I rallied the muggle-born hunt. Dementors I wield like a fuzzy pink shield, because really, I'm just a huge cunt. That's very good. (laughs) (laughs) 
hell. <laughs> but it is unique. It's the only piece that they actually bother to turn into a, a whole piece rather than just have a theme. And then it gets so dramatic at the end when she's actually floating away. Yeah. Which, thinking back, was probably very dangerous. <laughs> I'm surprised she didn't mm-hmm. die. Right? Yeah. As I said, and they found her like a hundred and some miles away or something, or like an hour and a half away. I'm like, she floated far, <laughs> shit. She floated a long way. I always love the buildup of the song, how it like kind of started off. It was almost like Marge's confusion in music. Like, what the fuck is going on with my finger? Wait, hold up. Now everything else is blowing up. What's going on? It built up and built up and built up. And then Vernon lets go of her and it's just kind of crescendos. That entire scene. Into this wonderful thing of where she's like, oh shit, what am I going to do now? And I just, I love that. The music is perfect for the scene. And the scene Mm -hmm. is probably one of the funniest in in the entire series. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) So much is going wrong. (laughs) Or going right. Yeah. Depending, Depending on who on you're cheering perspective for. you're yeah. looking at. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> Track three was titled The Night Bus. And it was two minutes and 52 seconds. And I gotta say, it was two minutes and 52 seconds of raucous awesomeness. That's what I say. Good use of the word raucous. A raucous. Brilliant. Thank you. It's a huge... I can't even <laughs> describe it properly. There's so much going on. So there's... It's a big, crazy jazz theme, and it starts so suddenly. I mean, it's just after this little light theme, which is what happens in, in the entire movie, is anything dramatic that happens. It's sort of just after this little light music. There's not, not really anything going on. And then there's a completely random thing going on, like a big bus going through the middle of London in such craziness. And I, I've just written, like, <laughs> the entire sort of like craziness of the music is in contrast to how calm everything on the inside of the bus is and how no one seems to care apart from Harry who gets flung about like he's a yeah. friggin' guy on a stick. And, and you know, Ernie's yeah. eating his sandwiches, stands <laughs> reading a newspaper, there's a wizard asleep in a bed. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. It's so insanely brilliant. And then there's this big dramatic break as well, but we'll get onto that in a second. I remember the first time I heard it, it was, I got the soundtrack before the movie came out, so I hadn't even seen the movie yet. Mm. And it was one of those things where I was just doing a listen through while I was reading, kind of. And I got to the Night Bus track, and I wasn't even at that part in the book. And I was like, oh my god, this is the Night Bus. Like, I didn't even have to look at the it was a CD at the time, because I'm old. At least um, it wasn't an 8 track. <laughs> like, well... <laughs> That'd be weird. <laughs> you know, I was on cassette, no big deal. It's a record. <laughs> but yeah, I was looking at the. I'm one of those where every new track I have to like look and see what the title mm. is of it. And that one I didn't even have to. I was just like, nope, this is Night Bus. Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Mm hmm. So then there's this theme change when Harry notices Sirius Black in the newspaper. And it's such a huge breakdown. But there's still a, a jazz bass line going on underneath, so it's still part of the entire piece. And it's just really interesting how they sort of dramatize all of that going on. It is brilliant. I love it. Mm-hmm. Th- that's sort of it. I mean, and then it goes back on into its sort of crazy jazz theme again after Stan's finished explaining who he is. And they use this creepy music all the time, like in such intense moments, like when Stan goes, he's a murderer. And he goes, <laughs> like creepy spider music it's brilliant mm-hmm. but again it's not very long so there isn't actually that much to say about it apart from how 
insanely jazzy it is. I mean, there's a video analysis on YouTube that you can watch. Just type in Harry Potter Prisoner of Azkaban music analysis into YouTube and you can find this bar by bar analysis. We'll find it and share the link. It's really cool. Mm -hmm. If you don't read music, it's a bit difficult to sort of see what's going on, but it's got like written in everything that's going on. It's really cool in terms of theory of, of music. Mm-hmm. Other, other than that, it's just some really good jazz to listen to. I listen to it all the time now. It's just sort of on my playlist. <laughs> <laughs> it's definitely one of those songs that can kind of always, aside from that serious black murderer break, it's one of those songs that can always really put me in a good mood because you're just kind of like... I do a lesson with my first graders inspired by the artist Kandinsky who had synesthesia and could actually see music and hear colors. So they paint to music, and I think this is going to be the song that I have them paint to. Oh, I like that. Yes. That's an excellent yes. idea. Because I always try to do something kind of jazzy, but I've just found free stuff in the past. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think this would be so much fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Track number four is called Apparition on the Train, two minutes and 15 seconds. So this is the music that sort of plays from when the train stops and all the lights go out and then the Dementor comes aboard. I was just going to take a moment and say how awesome the Dementors are in this film. They are insanely cool. I mean, they're they're evil and horrid, but they are really cool. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I dig on the Dementors. I'm a fan of them. I mean, I'm a fan of them. Creepy as fuck. I don't want to run into one that would suck ass, but, you know. I'd love a pet one. (laughs) You'd want a pet Dementor? Is that what I heard? Yeah, a little pet Dementor. Not like a full-size one. Like a baby little, little baby, baby Dementor. dementor a pocket know? Dementor. <laughs> a wee little baby Dementor. Unleash him on people exactly. who kiss you off. Oh, stop <laughs> kissing my friends. I don't want it. Yeah. <laughs> Feed him little spiders or something. I'm anyway. sorry, but pocket Dementor is not something that's going to leave my mind anytime soon. Oh, I'm gonna pass okay. <laughs> pocket Dementor. Okay. Moving on. <laughs> so the Dementor comes aboard the train. The full-size Dementor. Yeah, the yes, full-size full size Dementor. The scary one, <laughs> not the cute one. <laughs> but it's like, they get. there's not actually much to say about it. This is just sort of very scary background music that he uses to introduce a scary thing like <laughs> in, in the films. It's pretty effective. It's I say effective. it works. <laughs> I did love how when the Dementor actually comes into view like through the glass door it's just quiet like there's no music there it's you can just hear this sort of ominous breathing sound which i thought was a really it was a really skillful piece of sound engineering i don't know if that was john williams intent or if it was just some guy probably the director actually who thought let's have it be quiet but um as much as i love john williams i am a hundred percent willing to give him credit for that (laughs) yeah in my mind he's just the man he is the man it's not even so much that it's just there's no sound. It feels like the sound has been legitimately sucked out of the air. Yeah. That's what I love about it. It's not just devoid of sound. It's its sound has been forcibly removed. Yeah. Almost. It's uncomfortable. I love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Track five is titled Double Trouble, and it was a minute and 37 seconds. Double Trouble was composed by John Williams during the film's production since he felt it to be a warm welcome back to Hogwarts. The song was sung by the London Oratory School Scala, and its lyrics are taken directly from William Shakespeare's Macbeth, in which they are spoken by three witches. I love this song. (laughs) It's really good. 
it's a really good song. I, I, I know so many people who hate it and they think it's really dumb. I, I think it's cool. It's the first act, like listed piece on the soundtrack that has this medieval theme that the film's going for. And you sort mm-hmm. of hear it in the background, like whenever Harry's in Diagon Alley or anywhere else. <laughs> it's sort of, they've modernized the films, but they've made the setting older. That's what I got from it. And they're sort of having this medieval theme to sort of, I don't even know. It's, it's, it's such an interesting change, especially because the way that they're presenting it and they're, you know, they're singing Macbeth and it's just, it's a really intense change. And I don't, I get why some, why some people don't like it. I just think it's really cool. I understand the hate. I get it because, I mean, there's so many who are like, why would you put in something extra when you could just keep something in that's original to the stick text to the yeah actual stick to plot. the text exactly yeah like it's kind of like what we talk about on, on some of our episodes like why take this out when you could have actually kept the plot in you know should you could have kept all these other things that you could have put in but i actually i have to agree with you max i liked double trouble i thought it was i mean i thought it was better than the hogwarts school song if i'm being mm. honest but <laughs> Well, I also really liked the way that they used it as part of the transition. Mm-hmm. We talked about that in one of our most recent episodes, actually, because we just finished talking about this last week. Mm-hmm. Or I guess by the time this comes out, it'll have been two weeks ago. But they started playing this song while they were still traveling in the carriages. And then they did an actual cut to the Toad Choir singing it. And I just thought that was a really neat way to do a transition, which we've talked about how Alfonso Cuaron is really big on those as it is. Oh, yeah. yeah. I also love, I love the fact that these lyrics were used and they were, as we said, originally from Macbeth being spoken by the three witches, which were known as the Weird Sisters. And the Weird Sisters in the Harry Potter world are a band. And they're the band that perform at the Yule Ball in Goblet of Fire. Yeah, there's a lot of layers to the addition of this song. It'd be great yeah, so I always, was... yeah. I love that. And... Addition aside, like, I agree. I understand why people might dislike it. But mm-hmm. addition aside, if you take it out and just look at it as a song, it really is an effective piece of music. It really yeah. is. Well, I mean, it's, you know, like Max was saying, too, it's throughout the entire movie. I love this actual part of it where the lyrics are in there, but the tune is in a good chunk of the rest of the movie. They, like, make it sound kind of Christmassy during the winter scenes and the Hogsmeade scenes. And they they just kind of throw it in to where it almost became almost a new Hedwig's theme. Right. Double Trouble is used, like, the new theme for the entire film. Mm-hmm. It's, really, it's a really nice place-setting theme that they've got going on. Track number six is called Buckbeak's Flight. It was two minutes and eight seconds. I think it's pretty safe to say this is when... Buckbeak took Harry for a ride. Mm-hmm. It is. <laughs> There's this sort of consistency with how they use drums in this film. Like big drums. Well, actually, these would be tempanies, but mm-hmm. let's call them drums. Percussion. Sort of be a, exactly percussion to as a placeholder for big action going on. And they use it in the Whomping Willow scene. They use it in the werewolf scene as well. And it's just a big thing that happens leading up to something nice happening and then they're flying and it's it's a sort of big thematic work i guess which is indicative of, of a sort of soaring element which is going on which is obviously about be flying and then it's 
It's very beautiful, and they've got the landscape as well going on, so it's a very intense piece to listen to when you're watching the scenery as well. So I thought it was a very good piece of the soundtrack. Yeah. I think this is when they start making a big deal of introducing animals, like magical animals in the films, because they start with Buttbeak here, and then they've got the dragons in the next one, and they actually all have specific themes that accompany them when they're first introduced. And the Thestrals also have a theme for them when they're introduced in the fifth film. So I like that they're using themes quite a lot in this to introduce things. Mm -hmm. I've also written down, just for, for context, is that just after this and just before this, there's music which is also in the soundtrack listed as Hagrid the Professor. <laughs> for some, but for some reason, Hagrid the Professor in the soundtrack is way after this. So I don't. I just thought I'd, I'd mention that quickly, huh. in case anyone was bothered. Obviously, <laughs> <laughs> aside from you, that is. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Track seven is titled "A Window to the Past," and it was three minutes and fifty-four seconds. So far, the longest. I'll say this is a longer one. That's what she said. I think that's a good reason for that, though, because in the first two movies, there's a family theme that you hear. So the first time you hear it is when Harry is drawing his birthday cake in the dirt of that little stormy shack that they're in. And it's uh, mm -hmm. and super depressing. That's the family theme that you hear whenever Harry's talking about family or whenever when he sees his family in the mirror of Erised in Philosopher's Stone. Mm -hmm. And I think they're trying to establish this window to the past as the new family theme for the film, because obviously it, it is quite a bit about Harry's family. Okay, yeah. It also uses the double trouble theme as well. It uses the double trouble motif in a subtle and sort of reprising way, which again links back to them using double trouble as the theme for the movie, and then I was reading an article about how John Williams was attempting to set up new themes that he was going to use in later movies. But obviously he didn't get used as the composer for the later movies, so... Because they're crazy. Because they're crazy. Right? It's crime. Although everyone I've talked to, every professional musician I've talked to, has said that they don't like the John Williams tracks over the first three movies as much as they do over the last five. Really? And I don't know why. They prefer the big, random stuff. I think because one person said that it was because they were focusing too much on the music when they were watching the films. So they wanted less interesting stuff. But that's it's crazy. I mean, I guess I can kind of... And that was a music that was person? A, that was a music person. That, was, that seems strange to me. That was someone I considered a close friend. <laughs> no, I say no the past that, tense no. on that one. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I think there's this big thing though that John Williams was wasn't really appreciated as the Harry Potter composer because when he was writing Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets, he was actually working on three other films, and one of them was Star Wars. Mm -hmm. so, so he was a little busy. <laughs> I mean, what like. Star Wars, Indiana Jones, Harry Potter, Jurassic yeah. Park. Like, every single movie that hits me in the nostalgia oh, yeah. okay. was John Williams. 
And it's the music. It's the music that does that for you. Like Katie and I talk about it every time we start a new book and film is that the music starts up and mm-hmm. we're just like chills. tears. I get the chills. I get like so, such music. goosebumps chills. when I hear a Hedwig theme or, or just. I, te- I get that like tickle in my nose that tells me <laughs> my tear ducts are working. Is that what you do instead of crying now? <laughs> Your nose tickles itself. That's just my warning that I'm going to be crying. It's like. Right. Like, here it comes. Oh, I don't need a warning anymore. <laughs> it's like I watch a film and I know about a good minute before something sad happens that it's going to make me cry. Because there's something about to happen that is going to reflect on me in such a way that I'm going to just cry my way through it. I've been to the cinema by myself like five times in the last <laughs> week and I have not, le- I have not left without <laughs> crying. I'm very bad at films. Films make me cry very easily. Or you're just repressed in everyday life so that you feel like all of your emotions have to come out during films. That's also Look at that. Dr. Katie, everybody. Uh, Boom. And how does that make you feel? (laughs) (laughs) Anyways. The next song, track number eight, is The Whomping Willow and the Snowball Fight. And it was two minutes and 22 seconds. So I'm going to go with two tootie two. (laughs) Tootie two. It's a throwback to my childhood. I can't even remember why that mm-hmm. happened, but two tootie two became a joke between me and my brothers, my dad, because my dad's goofy. <laughs> this is another one of the weird soundtrack ones because it's actually they've grouped together the Whomping Willow fight, which is where Harry and Hermione are trying to get into the Whomping Willow just after Ron's gone inside. So way later in the mm-hmm. film. And they've also grouped together the snowball fight from when Harry's in his invisibility cloak and he's sort of beating up Draco and his friends. So I don't, again, I have no idea why they've grouped them together. Do they have elements of both in under each in section? Nope. <laughs> I honestly, I could not tell you why they grouped them together apart from maybe they lead into each other well, but I couldn't hear anything like that unless it was just a soundtracking issue and they thought, well, we better just put them together to save time yeah yeah why not maybe it's possible yeah but so the the whomping willow theme is again big drums very action-packed just like a lot going on sort of to reflect how the situation is which makes sense i feel like the whomping willow would be a hell of a drummer right oh, yeah definitely oh yeah <laughs> i always find it sort of i don't know i i didn't have a crush on the whomping willow and i'm not about to say i did <laughs> <laughs> You gotta love uh, sentences that start out with that. It's... And I'm not about to say that I did, but I ha- there was a thing there that I couldn't quite put my, put my finger on. <laughs> and I, I was like, there's something about... Just really drawn to uh, its wood, huh? <laughs> there's something so appealing about it, and it had so much character in this movie. Like, it killed a bird. And I, I, I mean, that was an intense moment for me. <laughs> Right. We just talked was... about that. In, we actually in this past episode, we did. We just I just said it. It was a birderer. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't pity laugh her, Max. No, I liked it. It, it is was a birderer. hilarious. <laughs> 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 that actually ended up being the title of this episode that's coming out tonight. Oh, is the birdering tree and gaslighting Hermione? That's that's quite good. But yeah, I don't know. The Whomping Willow in this movie just sort of made it for me. I liked all the transitional bits where it's cold and when it's snowy. (laughs) Again, that's another thing. I I know a lot of people didn't like this because why would you put this in when you could just actually put something that was actually in the book in? But I liked the 
transitions, when they were kept relatively short at least, using the Whomping Willow. Especially since the Whomping Willow had a lot of significance to the story. Mm-hmm. Like the part where when all the leaves fall off to show the transition of going from fall to winter. I loved that. I love that when it was like the one leaf just slowly floating down to the music and then it hits the ground and all the leaves come down. Right. I always thought that was great. Visually very interesting. Oh, yeah. I do mm-hmm. understand disliking adding things like that in when so many other things were left out. Yeah. Agreed. Definitely. But... It is what it is. I can still appreciate yeah. the visual. Mm-hmm. In contrast to that, there's the snowball fight music, which is it's very fun. It's very light. It's actually very similar to the music used in the Phantom Menace <laughs> episode one. It's really similar to the music used in that when they're going into space. I don't really know why. Okay. Apart from <laughs> I have done research on it and seen parts of Star Wars that have ended up in Harry Potter, usually because John Williams' assistant. This is actually a really interesting story is that when John Williams was working on other films, he let his assistant fill in gaps in bits of the soundtrack that, or score that weren't as important. He did that in the second one, and that's why in the Chamber of Secrets, when they're having the Quidditch match, there was apparently some mix-up, and they used an entire piece from Star Wars Episode Two instead of an original track. For Chamber of Secrets. Really? Oh my gosh, I have to go back. And I know now. That. I need to, now. I need to hear it. That's hilarious. That's it was amazing. such an interesting thing to come across. I was like, really, that happened? Maybe that's why they didn't use him again. I was like, whoa. <laughs> it was just a really fun fact. I think, yeah, yeah, that is awesome. Snowball fight. They also bring back as we were talking about. They will also bring double troubles, kind of in the background of that too. Yes, during snowball fight. Yet again, loaning into the. Making it kind of the theme for the movie. Yeah. I've literally written down. I'm I've, sensing yeah, a theme I've written here. down here, Are like, you? occasionally just like, double trouble again. And it's just like. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's a good theme, but Jesus. Apparently, his assistant was at work again on that one. Mm. Track number nine was Secrets of the Castle, and it was two minutes and 32 seconds. So, this is basically the double trouble theme, but it's lighter and it's sort of mysterious and it's. What? Uh, got it's got like minimal orchestration <laughs> it plays as the students are asleep in the great hall and i sort of thought maybe it was sort of a lullaby version they were trying out so as a theme it's just a very sweet sort of double trouble version that all the children are sort of falling asleep to and then it resolves as you get these sort of autumn leaves or fall leaves falling off the whomping willow and that's as we transition into the autumn bit and then the second half is again a completely different part of the film i don't know why they do this this is i think it's near the beginning of the film when they're doing an establishing shot of hogwarts this is the music that plays as that bird is flying around <laughs> lands on the whomping willow and it kills it <laughs> okay so <laughs> it's the birdering song it's the birdering song yeah I don't really know why they group them together. I mean, they sort of run well into each other, but it's very odd how they do that. I don't know if it was just someone going, hey, they sound good together. But Yeah. yeah. Track number 10, The Portrait Gallery, was two minutes and five seconds. This is double trouble again. What? <laughs> what? Yeah, I know. You've got this sort of, you've got these disjointed horns underneath, and then you've got a recorder. I love the recorders in this film. It's so <laughs> cool and medieval. <laughs> doing a really sort of slow 
dancey vibe version of Double Trouble. It's really cool. I love it because everything's going so wrong. <laughs> and this is just underneath the scene where they're, they're trying to find the fat lady who's gone missing and it's insane. But again, it doesn't last very long in the film. In the soundtrack, it's about, how long is it? It's Two minutes minute. and five seconds. Two minutes, five mm-hmm. seconds. But you don't hear it for very long in the film, so you don't really get to appreciate how cool it is. It's funky. It's not funky, but it's it's funky for medieval music, you know? <laughs> yeah. And that'll bring us into track 11. Hagrid the Professor was one minute and 59 seconds. And this is the one that you mentioned. I'll say you touched on this a little earlier, too. Yeah, it's used as background music three times is what I could find. Mm-hmm. Once before Hagrid's lesson starts, once after Hagrid's lesson starts, and then around Christmas, there's a scene where a horse jumps through ghost glass and it smashes, and then they're chasing each other, and then they're using that theme as well. And it's all medieval. It's this sort of medieval music, which John Williams must have composed himself because I can't find it anywhere else. And it's really well done. Like I believe firsthand that it was composed like 500 years ago (laughs) and it's really good i love it i love the whole medieval setting that they get on with and they infuse it with a lot of modern styles like there's a lot of jazz playing in the film as well i feel like it works really well for the visual setting in general because you have this medieval castle in modern times Mm -hmm. Mm. and they do a good job of of like establishing establishing that as a theme in the other films with like the big grand orchestra stuff but this is just more i feel like it's more light and it's just more personal to the film rather than just like oh it's a big castle we've got to have some big grand music but this is like people living in a castle and like the community aspect is sort of reflected in the music and like it's all very close and personal i, I just yeah. think it's really cool from a music point of view, I think it, it's just a really well done addition to the score that they've gone through this medieval idea. That will bring us to track number 12, Monster Books and Bogarts, was 2 minutes and 26 seconds. Uh, it's a bit self-explanatory. So the monster book is the scene where Harry is trying to get his book under control mm-hmm. in his Which is his closer room. to the beginning. It's, it's right. basically at yeah. the beginning. And it's a bit, you know, it's a bit action-y, it's intense, just sort of uh, background strings, normal John Williams stuff for when something not horrific, but relatively exciting is going on. He uses the same sort of stuff in Jurassic Park a lot. When they're running from a not dangerous, but definitely irritating dinosaur, that's sort of the <laughs> theme I get, thinking about the monster book of monsters. <laughs> and then the other part of it is the scene where you've got the boggarts, and it's actually the music that you hear as the bogger is changing shape for each personal, for each okay. person. Apart from that, there's actually a song that plays in the background, which I do have on my phone, but I couldn't find the name of it. It's a variation on Sing, Sing, Sing. It's some jazz music that he plays. It's yeah. a swing song, yeah. But again, jazz in this film is great. It's such a music-y film. I've heard somewhere that Alfonso Cuaron is really big on music. I, I thought he might be, because mm-hmm. there's a lot of music that goes on. I thought he must yeah. have had a say in that. It's really important to him. I don't know where I read that, but I read it and it stayed with me. Yeah. Track number 13, Quidditch, third year, is 3 minutes and 47 seconds. Could this be during the Quidditch match? 
It might be. When I first heard it, I didn't (laughs) think it was. It's so similar to the other action scenes with the Whomping Willow and the werewolf scenes. I actually just thought they were all using the same one. It's basically just action music. It's really cool (laughs) action music. It's done really well. Like, you can just sort of ignore it and it happens in the background and you know it's there. But there isn't really much to say to say about it it starts off in the soundtrack there's actually a creepy little three note sequence that happens in the soundtrack version but not in the film interesting Uh, and actually the film uses three note sequences all the time to establish little creepy things going on they use it for a peter pettigrew all the time like whenever they're discussing sirius black peter pettigrew the Morders map all that sort of stuff. There's a three-note sequence that mm-hmm. you can hear. I won't get into details on it because it's just there's way too much to talk about on it. I could literally talk for an hour. But next um, episode. Next episode. <laughs> these three notes that you didn't even notice. <laughs> and now you won't be able to forget them. Exactly. Mm. Literally, whenever if you're ever watching the film, it's most noticeable when Harry first gets the Marauder's Map. The twins say mischief managed otherwise anyone can read it and then there's three little notes that play and those three notes are the ones that you hear whenever peter pettigrew is sort of relevant to the situation i do think it's worth pointing out that this quidditch match wasn't even really about quidditch in the long run it was more about harry being attacked by the dementors or affected by the dementors yeah yes there wasn't really much quidditch at all aside from the fact that harry was on a broom so that's probably why the music was different from the usual quidditch matches Mm. yeah the sports ball was definitely not on the forefront of that scene music over sports balls (laughs) i'm okay with that the next track track number 14 is called lupin's transformation and chasing scabbers it was three minutes and one second I love this track. This is probably my favorite track in the entire thing, just for how relevant it is to the film. So it's the music for when Harry and Hermione... It actually starts with the music, not for when Lupin transforms the first time, but it starts with the music for Harry and Hermione watching themselves in the future. Okay. Is that what my hair looks like from the back? I hate that line. (laughs) That line bothers me so much. (laughs) You're back. So I actually like it because it starts with a little heart playing, just like with Mm -hmm. Fluffy in Philosopher's Stone, and it's all calm. I just kind of think that's really cool that they included (laughs) the harp when that's like meant to calm the dog down, and then it's not a harp anymore, and then there's a werewolf. Then it gets really intense, it gets really action-y, there's lots of movement in the orchestra because there's all that running about, and then it switches to the same sort of intensity but it gets really light because it switches to when Peter Pettigrew transforms into a mouse and it's the mouse running away and it's mm-hmm. all like really light and it's just really cool how they sort of transition that intensity into just this really light orchestration. Yeah, it's, it's just really good contrast <laughs> with the werewolf and the rat. Not the mouse, the rat. I just think it's cool. <laughs> Not the mouse. The Why rat. Why a mouse? He's a, he is a small rat to be fair. I don't know, it looks big enough for me to run the fuck away. <laughs> no, he's cuddly. No. Well, probably not cuddly, but, you know. I would no, not sir. No. with Wormtail, I'm just saying. <laughs> well, not, not knowing he was Wormtail, no. Even not knowing. That's, you can keep that to yourself. Would you cuddle Werewolf Lupin? Hell yes, I would. In werewolf form? <laughs> Does he have the wolf spain? I mean, if he's not going to, like, start taking chunks out of me, fine. Katie, you know you're allergic to him in werewolf form. 
I'll take meds. It's Lupin. I will do what needs to be done. I had a question. Like, you know the scene when Harry's staying in the Leaky Cauldron, and then the housekeeper opens the door, mm-hmm. and there's that rule. I always thought that was meant to be Lupin. Really? I always thought that was, like, going to be Lupin when he's under Wolfsbane, and he's like, go away. I <laughs> legitimately, I never thought about that, but it was during the day, so would it have still been... I don't know. I mean, maybe not, but maybe it was more. I really like I that. I, re- <laughs> I really like that That's now. a fun idea. Because I, I was like, what the hell is in that room? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I was kind of always, I was That's like, fun. what is going on there? But now, but thinking about it as Lupin, I really like that. That's adorable. I don't know why. I just I said it adorable, like, but it is. It is adorable. Because <laughs> you were just be cuddling with him. It's, well, yes. Yeah. I would totally cuddle. Track number 15, titled The Patronus Light, was 1 minute and 12 seconds. So this this is basically what you hear whenever there's a Patronus. You hear it in a short form on the train. You hear it when Harry first tries it in that creepy office thing place where they're not. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's because later on, Loop... The one with the weird <sighs> spine candles? The, the one with the weird spine candles, which is nowhere else in the film. <laughs> <laughs> it's sort of meant as a contrast to whenever the Scary Dementor music's playing. So you get the Scary Dementor music, nice Patronus music, balances out the sort of mm-hmm. themes going on. That's it. That's all I have to say about that. Track number 16... The werewolf scene, 4 minutes and 25 seconds. Now, how is the werewolf scene different from Lupin's transformation? This is the actual transformation. So this isn't okay. Hermione and Harry watching them. This is when it actually happens. So I don't know why they've put this after that one in the track listing. Gotcha, okay. This is when he actually transforms. And it's really cool the way they transition. They show the moon, they show his eyes, and then they've got the heartbeat going on, the really fast heartbeat. Mm-hmm. And then that transitions into this big heavy drum beat, which goes on. And then it's just the basic chase music that that happens when he's chasing them in the other scene. Mm-hmm. But the way they transition into it is kind of the cool part. That's kind of all I have to say about it. It's basic chase music, but with this really interesting way of leading into it with the heartbeat. Because I really connected with that scene, like watching him transform. I thought that was a really good way of showing how painful it must have been. And how everything was stretching. Oh, it was so cool to watch. Yeah. It wasn't nice to watch, but it was cool. It definitely gave a different perspective on Oh yeah. How it must have felt for him to change. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like watching McGonagall transform into a cat in the first one. No. <laughs> well, and they say in the book that transforming was horrible when he was younger. Mm. That so when he was locked up in the shrieking shack, he would just scratch and bite himself. Mm-hmm. So we didn't get that line, but we got that visual depiction of the transformation that kind of set it for it. Yeah, with all that stretching that was going on. Oh, yeah. I mean, the stretching was the bit that I hated most. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Ow. (laughs) I think the worst part for me was when his shirt rips and you saw his spine just... Oh. I was like, oh, so... Nope. Nope. Out. (laughs) (laughs) See, that's where the cuddling comes in, because I want to cuddle him and make him (laughs) feel better. He needs to cuddle. And let me massage those... He definitely Bumps. needed a cuddle after that. Just poor little Lupin. Katie needs a pocket Lupin. I do. Oh, I want a pocket Lupin. I think every girl needs herself a pocket Lupin to just give me chocolate. Sort of now I really want a Lupin Pez dispenser. Ooh. But don't you think it's such a creepy depiction of what I thought a werewolf would look like? It's not fluffy. It barely looks like a dog. I agree. It's all skin and like. 
I agree. That's like, definitely oh. something that's that's going to be covered in a normal episode once we get there in the book. But right. I definitely agree. He was not the werewolf I was imagining by any means. But that almost made it more sad to me. It yeah. was. I mean, people have got to be afraid of him for a reason. Like, he's yeah. really shunned. So, yeah. It made me think, what was Dumbledore even thinking? <laughs> like, yeah. if that at any point went wrong, that went wrong. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they made it pretty far into the year with no issues whatsoever. Yeah. Which is impressive. You can honestly blame all of that on Pettigrew. True. And I Sirius. Mean, I would say also on Sirius, since he's the one that picked the night of the full moon to fuck shit up. Well, that was just the night that Pettigrew came back out in the open accidentally. Well, yeah, and, and he had no way of knowing that Lupin was going to try and come to the rescue on that either. I mean, you could blame Hagrid if you like. He was the one who rescued Pettigrew. From, Damn it, Hagrid. I imagine escaping. <laughs> Honestly, if anything, Hagrid should have just turned him into a sandwich. Right? I'd be okay with him eating scabbers sandwich? instead of a stoat. Oh. I feel like that would be gamey. I feel like a stoat would be too. You're still uh, on the goddamn stoats? Really? Yep. Let's move on. Okay. Track number 17, Saving Buckbeak, came in at 6 minutes and 39 seconds. Again, they've mishmashed some of the music together. So this is some of the music that happens when Hermione and Harry, they're sort of trying to lead him away with the stoats and just throwing them into the forest. And then it also has the music where like, it's rising when the execution is about to kill him or not kill him, as it turns out. Mm -hmm. And then you've got a little bit of when Harry and Hermione are riding on Buckbeak to go and save Sirius. There's a little bit of that in there as well. I actually have video of us scaring one of our flatmates when she was about to come out of the toilet to the rising execution music <laughs> when it's so perfectly timed, like we could not have mm -hmm. planned it better. And she comes out of the bathroom, there's the cut-off of music, and she just screams because we squirted her with music water. <laughs> That's what happens in British universities. We don't haze, we just squirt. That's all I have to say about that one. <laughs> Track number 18 is called Forward to Time Past. It's a little play on time travel there. Two minutes yeah. and 33 seconds. This song is heard when Hermione and Harry use the time turner to go back in time. So the whole time twist makes sense there. It's a really cool track. It starts off with this ticking and then it gets really heavy and you hear like the chiming bells and stuff. And then you've actually got a really light ticking all the way through, through the piece, which you hear up until Harry and Hermione see themselves talking to Draco. So there's a lot of ticking going on, which is just a really cool way of, of incorporating the physical element of a clock into the piece. Mm -hmm. Well, since they're on a time crunch, too, it's, it's like listening to the timer run out. Yeah, it's yeah. so urgent. I love it. And they only just make it. I love how they just make it, like, just in time. Yeah. It, it's such a good scene. And it's such a long scene. Like, they have, like, two hours or something like that. It's ridiculous. But, yeah. Track 19, The Dementors Converge, is three minutes and 12 seconds. It's heard when Harry is attempting to save Sirius Black from the Dementors. So it's basically just the Dementor music that you hear whenever there's a Dementor in the scene. And then it gets, it builds as like more and more of them appear until it's really heavy because there are so many of them around. It's really dramatic until Sirius gets his soul sucked out and you see it and then it gets all quiet again. Mm -hmm. And then it's suddenly again dramatic with that sort of Patronus music which is what happens when the Patronus appears, when Harry sees the stag, and then 
right after the Patronus disappears and all the Dementors are gone, it's it quietens down again and there's a sort of mysterious light glockenspiel music playing that you can't really you don't know what's happened it's kind of confusing and obviously this is all happening before we even know about the time turners or what could have happened so it is a confusing part of the the film it also includes as background music to the patronus music going on is window to the past is playing i thought you were going to say double trouble family thing (laughs) no it actually does not feature in this part which is impressive (laughs) but yeah that's the dementors converge scene yeah it's creepy it's a really creepy scene it is and i love how it brings back to the earlier track when we were talking about how when the dementors show up it's not even just that it's silent it's that like there is no sound it's being taken away physically almost That was one of those things when we saw the movie in the theater. You could hear a pin drop. Everyone was silent. The Dementors sucked the audio out of the audience also. Basically. And that's what it that's what it felt like. I think a lot of that was the music well, or lack music thereof. Music just so strongly ties to our emotions mm-hmm. that that makes a lot of sense to me. Yeah. Track number 20 is just called The Finale. It is 3 minutes and 24 seconds. And it's actually probably best known for appearing in the Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire trailer. Mm-hmm. So this is just the music that plays. Harry's conjured his Patronus. This is after they've gone back in time. So there's Harry actually doing it. Harry conjures the Patronus. There's a lot of drama going on. It's also the music that plays as Sirius is escaping mm-hmm. on Buckbeak. So there's that big cutoff where he's talking to Harry and Hermione. And then it's the music that's him escaping. It's also the music when they break him out. And then it's the music that plays as Harry and Hermione go back to the hospital wing. But I think the main part of it is, again, Harry conjuring the Patronus. It's also got a window to the past playing underneath it again. So there's big reflection on who Harry is sort Mm -hmm. of thing going on and who he's meant to be and his connection to his father. It's good thematic music. It works really well. And it's sort of trying to get away from that scary music that's been going on for the entire Mm -hmm. thing and they don't really revisit it at all but it's really nice like it's well-rounded is is how i would describe it Mm -hmm. as as a kind of end to the film obviously it's not the last music you hear no but it is kind of resolving the story (laughs) yeah it's a big resolutionary piece that plays it's great it's kind of the same effect as in philosopher's stone sorcerer's stone when harry says the I'm not going home. Not, not really. really. And there's that swelling Hedwig's theme that goes through that da-da-da-da, you know, and you're just kind of like, ah, you like to, you take this deep breath. <laughs> That's kind of what the finale feels like <laughs> to me, at least. Yeah, exactly. That's how you end a Harry Potter movie. It just is. Yeah. That's how you end a Harry That's... Potter movie. Not, <laughs> but it's not because as we'll see. Well, <laughs> but this is. As we'll see, Daniel Daniel Radcliffe's face is still to be (laughs) blurred across our screens. Yeah. Track 21 is titled Mischief Managed, and that was a whopping 12 minutes and 10 seconds. Because there was a lot of stuff to cover. There's a lot of credits. Mm -hmm. A lot lot of people are involved in the making of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It's a great song. I love it. Because it encompasses all yeah. of them together. It's also the last time you hear Double Trouble. <laughs> what? <laughs> in the film. I know. So you got, that covers Harry 
riding off on his firebolt and looking stupid. <laughs> and, then this, and then it's just happy, like, happy clappy bullshit music yeah. sort of thing going on. The sort of thing that you'd expect at the end of a film that was a happy ending. Yeah. Then you've got the end credits and it all carries on, like, droning on and on. And then it goes back through all the, like, themes that you hear in the music occasionally. Like, there's even, like, Buckbeat's flight and, like, the big dramatic drums and stuff like that. Yeah. All the stuff you'd expect from end credits, basically. And then Double Trouble comes into it about halfway through mm-hmm. in the sort of medieval kind of way and they're singing it. But that's it. I'm, and then it's a very nice way to finish i thought mischief managed when i saw it on the soundtrack but hadn't heard it in the film i thought it was going to be creepy because i thought oh cool mischief and it's just going to be mischievous and creepy yeah no it literally <laughs> means no it's nice it's the clothes yeah and it's they the named it that the because of the marauders map clearly yeah Anyway, let's just keep rolling. So I think for the Potter pondering for this episode, I would just like to ask our keepers what their opinions and thoughts are on the soundtrack and the music. If they noticed it while they were watching or if they want to go back and watch it again now with these notes that Max have given us. I just want to know where they're at with the soundtrack. And what's their favorite part? I was going to say, what's their favorite part? Yeah, and if they have paid attention to it, what is their favorite Favorite part? And I want to know if maybe opinions have changed after listening to us that's a good one so here we'll put these up for you and you can find it on the facebook page and Mm -hmm. let us know what you think today's trivia question is how many tracks were on the extended edition of the harry potter and the prisoner of azkaban soundtrack just to see if you were paying Mm -hmm. attention if you know the answer head to our facebook page at jkr podcast and find the post comment under the post with the answer and the code word hashtag double trouble because we haven't said that word enough today there it is again (laughs) <laughs> the prize for the first one who responds with a correct answer and the code word will get a bitch is a witch, motherfucker's a wizard, a just keep rolling, that's not how it happened in the book, that's not how it happened in the movie, or a pride sticker. Another way to get a sticker is to rate and review us. If you're an Apple person, you can do it through the Apple Podcast or iTunes app. If you don't have Apple, then as a recommendation on our Facebook page. Then email us at justkeeprolling at gmail.com to let us know you did and we'll get back to you to figure out which sticker you want and where to send it. Don't forget to find us and follow us on Facebook at JKR Podcast and Twitter and Instagram at Just Keep Rolling. We're going to continue creating more Potterheads of History episodes and you can become a patron to gain access to those future episodes along with other perks. If you would like to support us as a patron for those extra perks like Max, you can go to patreon.com slash justkeeprolling. Any support you can give is greatly appreciated. And you can check out our website at justkeeprolling.com to see what our patrons have helped us create so far and get yourself some swag and other Harry Potter related merch. We also have recently launched our YouTube channel and have uploaded all of our regular podcast episodes there. We also plan to upload blooper reels, vlogs, other random videos, and our future Harry Potter-related cooking show. We want to say thanks again to Max. This is now the third time he's been on an episode with us, and he's getting really quite good at it. Mm -hmm. Thanks for having me back. It's always fun having you here, Max. (laughs) Join us for our next episode that comes out this Thursday night at 11 Eastern Standard Time when we talk about Chapter 7, The Bogart in the Wardrobe. 
and the corresponding film scenes. Thanks for listening. We hope you hear us again. I'm Katie. I'm Ellen. Until the next time, just keep rolling. Thank you.